All right. Thank you, girls, for ministering to us this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 63. You know, Pastor Bill is doing a series on Psalms, and um, when he preaches on Sunday nights, but we're going to jump right in there with him in our final week of revival. Psalm 63. This is this is an effort. This is an emphasis to take what we have focused on and learned all summer long, and now to devote those things to the Lord. Now to rekindle, redevote ourselves to Him. And there is no one more worthy of our devotion. That is for sure. Um, I originally entitled this A Life of Devotion to God. But after a little bit further, and just forgive me for that, I have to prepare some things in advance. And then as I get closer to the actual message, sometimes the title takes a little turn. Because I like to have the titles mean something as far as what exactly what is our focus. And actually, an alternate title could be devotions or devotion. This idea in Christianity that I grew up with that we can almost lean on devotion as an act, and we would call it having devotions. Um, And it can become just that. It can become just something that we do. But the life before God is a life of devotion. I do have this up here for a reason. Just remind me to say something about it at the end of the service, okay? (laughs) That's not because I'm thirsty. So, although I am thirsty, (laughs) that's not why. A life of devotion to God. Would you join me with reading in Psalm 63? This is a psalm of David. You may have it written in your Bible right before the psalm starts. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And that's a key point to remember, and, and I'll show you why here in just a few minutes. But let's read this together. It's a short psalm. So read along with me. I'll be reading from the King James Version. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, if you would join me. Father, this is your word. We're asking for you to teach us this morning. And as you teach us, Lord, would you open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes and ears, allow us to hear what you would have for us to hear this morning. Allow us to see in your word what you would have us to see This might not be just another habit that we are doing on a Sunday, Lord, but, Father, we would leave here a little bit different than when we came. Lord, you would open our eyes to a wonderful truth about you. And, Lord, as we come before you humbly with hearts that are ready to receive your truth, I know you will fulfill that promise. Lord, thank you for being such a faithful father. Lord, we are encouraged and we're challenged by this fact. 
this truth. In your name I ask, amen. Excuse me. In, in Christianity, we, we have sometimes, right, uh, cliches or phrases that, that we use in church, right? And in the church I grew up in, at least, that's all I can speak for as far as when I was young in, in my moldable years. Um, you know, it was a common phrase, having your devotions or doing your devotions. Uh, it was a phrase, I, a phrase I heard a lot, even from the pulpit. And as I, went to, as I went to youth camps and different things like that, you would hear that as kind of a, um, a phrase that we would use as people were encouraging us to be in the Word of God on a daily basis. I mean, that's what it meant, right? Uh, but it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper, so much deeper. I'm so sorry. Happy birthday, Nathan. Just saw you up there. He is here. Make sure you wor uh, worship Nathan. Don't do that. Make sure you wish... Nathan, a happy birthday. See, we're in the mode of worship here this morning. Sorry about that, Nathan. Glad you're here, though. Happy birthday. As we are looking past church cliches and times that the pastor messes up the words, like I just did, as we're looking past all of that to see what God is actually saying here about devotion. Devotion to Him. This time of devotions is a time where we set aside intentional time to spend with our Heavenly Father. If you have that Seeking Him, I don't have mine up here, but if you have that Seeking Him book, it looks sort of like this screen behind me. Um, you might have noticed this week an opening phrase, and they asked this question. I thought, would you, would you listen this morning? And I, I hope you caught it, but if not, here it is again. What if someone told you that one year from now you could look back over 12 months of consistent spiritual growth? You could be walking more closely with God than ever before. You could be enjoying a deeper awareness of his love for you and your love for him. You could be walking in greater freedom over your sin. Your life could be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and God would be using you as an instrument of his grace in the lives of other people. What if someone told you that one year from now, that could be your testimony? This only springs from a life of devotion to God. That testimony only happens intentionally. And although it is not rooted in you and in your will, you have to concede to that. You have to submit your will to God for him to even begin to do that kind of a work in your life. God is not a pauper. He's not a beggar. You will nowhere in the scriptures find him begging for your attention. He deserves all the glory and honor. That being said, he is a loving and faithful father that does not stand there as a proud man and makes us grovel to him, although he could. I mean, out of all the human beings that would make us do that, God has the power to actually enforce that, and still he does not. It shows us the love, the unconditional love and grace and mercy of our God in that that he does not force us to do what he could force us to do. He gives us the opportunity to enjoy this life he has set out before us. Life in him. This devotional life, it's cultivated by reading and studying and meditating on the word of God. Such a blessing. You live in America, and this is not a difficult thing for you to do. The most difficult thing about this may be just placing the time in your life. I mean, you don't have to search for a copy of this in your language. You don't have to search. Uh, most of us can know how to read. That's, that's a real issue, by the way, in many countries in the world. Don't even know how to read. We have such privilege. With that privilege comes great responsibility. 
prayer, focusing on specific areas that God may be working on us, on genuine worship and praise. These are all part of the devotional life, the daily um, discipline of attending to your relationship with God as it would be with any relationship that you expected any kind of health out of. Regular maintenance from that relationship. You know, when I was in school, I did not uh, really care for tests that much. Now, I know that is different with some young people, Owen. Um, But most, (laughs) I did not care for tests. And mostly because when I took the test, it revealed my lack of study. And so it was never really a high note in my life. Um, But one thing I noticed about taking tests, there is... There is a legal way to rig the system of tests. And don't worry, parents, I'm not going to give anything away here. There's a legal way to rig the system of tests, Um, at least in the eyes of everyone else. You can actually look like you know the material when you take the test, you get the good score. And I'm not talking about cheating by looking on somebody else's paper, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. It's called cramming. Yeah. How many last-minute athletes in here would join me? Okay, thank you, a few honest ones. All right. Spending 24 hours studying the night before the test, staying up all night writing that research paper, college students that we were supposed to start three months ago. Um, I know nobody's ever done that, but you know I might have, um, or I heard about somebody doing it at least. Long hours, long hours, late night study hours, cramming all the information into my short-term memory, and then reproducing it on a test and getting an okay grade, making everybody look at least think of me that I did all right. I was a pretty good student. Sometimes I even did really well. But then one month later or a week later, ask me about it again. I have no idea. Similarly, I feel like our devotion to God can, can be like that sometimes. It's, our devotion to God is not really shown during those short spurts of religion. All of a sudden, we're on a spiritual high. We're feeling good today. And we're going to read our Bible a few times. Or we're going to talk about God. Our devotion is not revealed during those times. We all have those ups and downs. I mean, that's that's part of being a human being in a broken world, right? Our devotion is seen over the long haul. Our devotion is seen and truly tested in difficulty. The test for our devotion is when it becomes hard to be devoted. Then what does our devotional life look like? When it's emotionally hard, we're... Man, relationships in our life are a mess. How is your devotional life then? Your career aspect, your money situation is a mess. How is your devotional life then? I'm not trying to make you feel bad this morning. I'm just saying as we, as we come before the Word of God, would you come before Him honestly? Not feeling good about because you're on a high, but feeling... Uh, what do I need to change, Lord? What do I need to add? What, what do I need to come before you humbly and ask for help about, Lord, I want to be devoted to you. And I hope that is your prayer this morning. In Psalm 63, this clearly is David's prayer. Clearly. He expresses to everyone, including to God Almighty, his devotion to God. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're inspired by his words, right? Challenged by not just his words, but honestly, his humanity. And in the, in the middle of his humanity, his uh, unending devotion, it seems. But what is most revealing to me about Psalm 63 is David's devotion 
during the period of his life that he is in as he writes Psalm 63. Oh, it's easy to get removed, right? I mean, you could write a testimony maybe at some high point in your life and people could read it later on and say, wow, that's really... But if they knew the situation you were in when you wrote that, that might be a totally different filter as they read that, right? So I'd like, you to sh- I'd like to share with you what we know about his situation here as we begin here in Psalm 63. It says at the beginning of the psalm, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, that when is not super clear. It's actually, as, as I studied what this might be and where this might be, we know where, and we'll look at that in a minute. We don't know exactly when it would be, okay? There, anybody that studies the scriptures, archaeologists, Uh, Biblical language scholars, they're actually kind of split half and half, I found. Some believe it was during the height of when wicked King Saul was attempting to chase down David, and we've all heard stories about that. It was a long period in his life. This young man that had done really nothing other than try to stand for God when nobody else would. And quite honestly, King Saul was trying to kill him because it was embarrassing to be around this young man. I mean, this this is a young man that was so dedicated to God that he embarrassed anybody with a halfway mediocre uh, belief system. And all of the older people, all of the older men, all of the, even the king himself, were honestly quite ashamed when David would step on and open his mouth because he was so dedicated, so passionate about the Lord. Some believe maybe it was during that time, as uh, it happened for many, many months, that King Saul was trying to kill David, who had, by God, been appointed to be the next king. Saul was not going to have that. He tries to kill him. Months and months and months. This could have been during that time. Some believe that it was after David now has become king, and we know that happened. God finally, truth, truth gave way. Truth had victory, as God says it always will. David became the king, and now later on in his life, we see a repeat happening. As a result of David's humanity and his sin uh, with Bathsheba, God ordained and said, the sword will not depart from your house. I forgive you for your sin, as we read in Psalm 51. He said, but there's consequences. Death came to his house. Tragedy came to his house, betrayal came to his house, as David's older son Absalom now had garnered against his father favor with many of David's own trusted friends and people, at least he thought, and had now turned the kingdom against him. And now David is running again. Did he have to run? I don't believe so. But this is the way David was. You ever notice this? David stuck up for God a lot. I don't, I don't ever find a spot where David stuck up for himself. Think about it. Share it with me later if you find one. I can't think of a spot. I couldn't find one where David was defending himself. He defended his Lord all the time. But when it came time to fight or to bow out, David always bowed out, and he trusted in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. I, I draw great encouragement from that. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 63, as we find David in the wilderness of Judah, exiled from his family, exiled from his successful career or his future career, whatever time of life he's in, running for his life, all because God chose him to be king and somebody else wanted that position. We see, verse number one, our devotional life. Desire propels our devotion to God. You know, you cannot have a devotional life that you don't desire. 
It just doesn't work that way. It, it can't be willed down to you from your parents. Uh, you may see a good example from them. You may be inspired by them or other older people in the church, godly men and women that you have really uh, watched their life and seen a consistency. And God has used that to cultivate what? Desire within you. You cannot be a, live a life devotion to God, uh, devoted to God without desiring that. We see that desire propels our devotion to God. It did the same thing for David. Look in verse number one. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. We'll stop right there. Again, I want to draw your attention to one more paragraph out of your devotional this week that I thought was good. Seeking Him devotional says, the Christian's devotional life is foundational to his or her spiritual maturity and capacity to know God and to make Him known to others. A personal devotional life involves more than just having devotions. It is a call to devotion, an opportunity to cultivate this intimate love relationship with God. It is vital to a lifetime of seeking Him and experiencing the joy of personal revival. You can find that in this week's devotions. We see in David's life that desire keeps this relationship, this devotion to God at a high priority. It's desire that keeps it at a high priority. It's not convenience that will only last while the circumstances are good. It is desire. He says right here, O God, thou art my God. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Lord, I want this. I'm making an intentional decision. And it's because you are my God. He takes his relationship with God very personally. God, you are my God. Early will I. As a result of this, you know, we, we, I've heard this all different phrases. I was studying this phrase here. What exactly does this mean, early will I seek thee? Well, some have said, well, yeah, that means you have to have it in the morning. Or, or that, that means that you do it soon. Like if a difficult situation comes up, you know, you seek the Lord soon. So what exactly does this mean? I don't know about you, but if I can know exactly what something means, I want to know that. So you're in luck. This one we can. As I studied this, early will I, that, that phrase, okay? In King James, it says, early will I seek thee. This can give the idea of it's top at the priority list. It's early on the priority list. Okay, it's definitely that idea, but that's not the primary application. If you study, which is what a good Bible student will do, you will study the other passages with this same word in it. And you'll see how God defines the word by the way he uses it. This is the most accurate way um, to study your Bible and, and to decide what the, what the verse means. This is the danger, by the way, in creating a doctrine out of a verse where the word is only used one time, and it's not clear even what it means. And men have done that. Okay? This one is not the case. In the Old Testament, this same phrase is used in Genesis 20, 28, 21, 14, 22, 3, 26, 31, 28, 18, and Exodus 24, 4. And it all means, and it's interpreted, translated as early in the morning soon in the morning. So you can rest with pretty well certainty that God is saying, take this time, devote yourself at the beginning of your day. Whatever that means for you. For him, it was morning time. That was the beginning of his day. They didn't have 24-hour diners and 24-hour jobs back then, I guess. Uh, but at the beginning of his day, early in the morning, um, David was going to spend that time with God. Early will I seek thee. 
And we find this to be very practical, do we not? I mean, it doesn't take too many minutes once the morning gets going to where your mind is going a million different directions. So many different directions sometimes that it, it almost seems difficult to focus on God. This is, a, this is a humanity problem, by the way. This isn't just 2023. Putting God at the top of our time list, it, it's key in living a life devoted to God. Desiring for God to be at the top of this list is the only way it will stay that way. I mean, anybody can make us. I mean, our, our parents, uh, kids, our parents can make us do devotions first, first thing in the morning. But when it comes time to where we're deciding on our own, what's going to change whether we do it or not? Our desire. Our desire. We're not going to do anything for very long that we don't really want to do. Desire is key in walking with God. There's so much against it. So much against it. Even when David had great physical needs, we find his mind was on the Lord. You see what he says there, the next phrase, my soul, he's talking to God, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Oh, that's such a picturesque phrase, but wait till you see where he was when he wrote this. He's in the wilderness of Judah. This is 2023, wilderness of Judah. It's still there. Does a dry and thirsty land mean anything more to you now? David is literally sitting somewhere in the vast expanses of this wilderness, and he's crying out for God as he is, as he is I'm not going to say afraid for his life, but he is avoiding the one who's trying to end his life, whether it be Absalom or whether it be King Saul. And he's crying out to God, God, in the middle of all this, in a place where I don't have any water, I left my Walmart water bottles at home. There is no drinking fountain anywhere near. Matter of fact, there's no running water anywhere near. I mean, this brings a whole new level to thirsty, does it not? My soul thirsteth for thee. Lord, I'm really thirsty. That's not what he says. He says, my soul thirsts for thee. Lord, in a dry and barren land, a land where there is no water, my soul thirsts for you. Now, that's devotion, is it not? This is not devotion after the end of some revival in his life where everything's good and I'm going back to my air-conditioned home, can kind of segment my schedule to whatever I need it to be, life is good. No, this is in a low point. He says, God, my soul thirsts for you. It longs for you. There's nothing around, God, that can satisfy me like you. We see desire is cultivated at church. Say, where's that? Well, let me show you. He says there in, let me get back to it here, verse 2. Here's what my flesh longs for. It longs for thee, and in verse 2, it longs to see thy power and thy glory, so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Well, his sanctuary is a little bit different than we would think today. You think sanctuary, oh, he was at Eastside Baptist Church. Well, no, not really. He was in the wilderness. But what is the sanctuary that he was referring to? Well, he was king. Uh, either he was king in Jerusalem at the time, or he would be king in Jerusalem, and everybody would travel to Jerusalem because at Jerusalem was the temple. It was the place of worship. David said, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen you work, I've seen your power, I've seen your glory. Fast forward 2,000 years for us. Now God 
even though God is everywhere, God chooses to manifest his presence, to evidence his presence in certain places. What does he do that? Now he does it in the life of the believer. The, the Bible says you as a believer, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God now dwells in you. It doesn't mean God's not everywhere. He is any more than he wasn't everywhere back, back then. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. We know that. That's not what he's saying. There are certain places God manifests his presence at. And David said, I've, I've been there. I've experienced your presence. I've experienced the reality of you in my life. And I want to see that again. Here I am in the wilderness. Life is rough. Yes, I need water, but that's not what I'm asking for. Lord, I'm asking for you. I want you. We, we see that. This is cultivated at church. When we fast forward to the church age, I mean, what is the purpose in church? Is it just something to take up some hours on Sunday morning? Just something to give you a place to put that, that uh, tithe and offering at so that you can get that off your conscience? Of course not. We all know this. That, that's foolishness. So with that, what is the church here for? It is a place for you and I as believers to come together and to hear his word, to be challenged and encouraged from God's word, and then to go back out into this world and to share that presence with other people, to share that good news, that gospel with other people. But how are you going to do that? Well, God has created this entity called the Assembly of Believers, where we come together and we sharpen each other. We, we speak truth to each other. We love on each other. God ordained that. That wasn't something we came up with. God ordained that. David said 2,000 years ago, or actually even more, probably more like three, um, David said, I I've seen your power. I've seen your presence. I've experienced that. As some of you have experienced it right here, the benefit of being with the believers. And you know, you know that if you will disengage from that boundary that you've taken up and will actually engage in the assembly of believers, you find a camaraderie, you find a support system, you find a community, I guess would be the modern word for that, to where we love each other and we challenge each other, we encourage each other, but we confront each other when need be as well because we all need that at some time. We do. David was desiring that again. He went a period of a time without it. We don't know how many months he's been out in this wilderness, but long enough to where, boy, I really miss it. I really miss seeing God's presence. I really, I really miss seeing God's idea for church back then. I really miss this. He missed God's presence at church, and that's what a devotion to God does. If you're truly devoted to God. I don't, I don't believe you can. Maybe I'm misstepping here. I don't think so. I don't believe you can go months out of church, or even a month, even a couple weeks, as a person that is truly devoted to God and saying, eh, yeah, church, take it or leave it. Maybe that wasn't a very good church you're in. I, I don't know. Maybe you'd never engaged. Maybe you never became part of that community. Maybe you weren't taught the word. I'm not really sure. David missed it. He's in the wilderness. He's in the difficult time. That's when his devotion shone through. And what sustained him during that time? It had to be desire. God, I thirst for you. I want you. I got all sorts of other things that I could want, but I'm just saying, I want you. I want to know you. I want to see you working in my life. Second thing we see in verse number three is that praise flows from a devotion to God. It flows from a devotion to God. You know, someone that's unwilling to praise is someone that is not devoted to God. 
I mean, it's just a natural outcropping. You will come. Let, I mean, let's take the churchiology out of the word praise there. There are people in your life that you will praise, right? And there's some level of devotion to that person because you think so highly of them. You think so highly of them, so there's naturally some things you would do for that person that you would not normally do for somebody. So let's stick to the word back in church. Let's stick the word back in reverence to being devoted to someone that will never fail you. Devoted to someone that only has your best interests at heart. Devoted to someone that will always do right. Always. How can you not praise as a result of that? David shows us that he definitely did in verse 3. He says, because thy loving kindness, he's talking to God, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Oh, you know what we choose to focus on? Many times can totally change the outlook of our lives, is it not? David is intentionally choosing to focus on, on something in the middle of his difficult situation in the wilderness in the middle of everybody being against him, it seemed like. David chooses not to focus on that, but to focus on his Lord. Lord, I want you. I need you. And as a result of that devotion, we see praise begins to flow. Thanksgiving, in a life-threatening situation, somehow David finds refreshment. Isn't that so counterintuitive to the way we live so many times? In a very difficult situation, Praise emits. You know, we see there a heart that doesn't praise is really just showing that a heart that is not wholly devoted to God. That, that's what's evidence of. What does he say there in that first? There's some really rich words here. He says, thy loving kindness is better than life. Loving kindness. You know, he uses a couple words in the Psalms. You see it throughout as I studied this, and you, you might have noticed it as well. Loving kindness and tender mercies. You know, it wasn't enough as, God's, as David is describing as God, and these are words he uses often. It wasn't enough that he just said kindness or mercies, right? He said loving kindness, tender mercies. David proclaimed these truths over and over again as he wrote these songs, these psalms, songs in the Bible. They're, they're poems. We see one in Psalm 40, verse 11, right there on the screen behind me. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Don't hold them back, please. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. This is a man that is saying, I am depending on your goodness. I'm not just saying it's great. I'm depending on it. I have now let go of my own abilities. Even though he was a great warrior even though he was arguably one of the best kings, at one point in his life, one of the richest men, he's letting go. And when was this shown? It was when he was at the bottom. Awesome. Awesome to me. We also see that a heart that won't worship is wholly devoted. So it's a heart that doesn't praise is not wholly devoted, but also a heart that won't worship Praise is, is that way we speak. Praise is spoken, right? Worship is that humility as we come before God and we, we, we recognize and show and evidence his worthship, what he is worth to us. We display that somehow. A heart that won't worship is not wholly devoted. 
David says here in the verse number four, Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Look what he says here in Psalm 138, verse 2. He says, I'll praise thee with my whole heart. My whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Don't be confused with that. He wasn't recognizing that there was more than one God. Okay? He lived in the middle of a pagan land. Cities were known for having temples to multiple gods. It wasn't like America where that's all hidden. Okay, it was right out there in public. So I'll worship thee. Uh, before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, did, you, did you catch this uh, in, our, uh, in our verse this morning? As, as he is worshiping, as he is praising, thus will I bless thee while I live. In verse number four, he says, I will lift up my hands in thy name. Can I just say a little, a little something about lifting up of hands? So some religions that have gotten a little out of hand with things have kind of hijacked that. That is a biblical form of worship. It's a biblical form. It is nothing really honestly to be frowned at. I mean, who cares if, if uh, the charismatics do it or whatever religion does it wrong? You know, you say, well, I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't, so don't. Don't be thinking anything about yourself. It has nothing to do with you. If you lift your hands, it shouldn't be so you can get looked at. You can't stop what anybody else is thinking. Don't worry about that. You just, just worship the way God would have you to do it. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to lift up your hands and jiggle all around like a crazy person. I mean, there's obviously a balance in this. But lifting up of your hands is a biblical virtue. It's a biblical form of worship. I remember six years ago, my kids challenged me on this. And that, that's, the, that's a benefit, I think, of having young people in your life. You know, us who are older, we tend to kind of figure out, okay, we figure out what we believe and we just set it to cruise and we go, right? Then young people come along and they're, but why? <laughs> Those are the uncomfortable conversations, right? Well, because... Because we just don't do that. <laughs> well, but why? Well, I, I just don't think it's right. It, it, let me do a Bible study on it and get back to you. <laughs> and I had to do that with this. Well, to my amazement, two pages later, 14 passages later, I found that raising of hands is a biblical form of worship all throughout the Scriptures. And although God does not say... Thou that goest to church must raisest thine hand. It does not say that. It is displayed and illustrated for us so many times. It's a, it's a way uh, to worship in prayer. It's a way to worship in the sanctuary. It is just simply lifting of hands. Lifting of hands. I, I don't know what direction. To God. Lifting of hands. You say, well, do you know what you look like right now? I don't actually because I'm not watching it, but... The person that's lifting their hands, if they're doing it to God, doesn't care. And honestly, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, now that I have, at a, as a result of studying this and being confronted by my own children lovingly on this, I have come to realize that it's not as much if I'm going to raise my hands or not, it's why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I raise my hands? There's an amen from somebody that's doing it. It's not as easy to say amen when you're not doing it. But I challenge you to think it. Look it up. 
Look it up in the scriptures and see what God has said. Go home in your field or your bedroom or whatever it is, all by yourself, when nobody can think you're being vain for raising your hands, if that's a concern of yours, and just lift up your hands and talk to God. You will be amazed the difference it'll make. I mean, right now my hands are tingling. There's just something about, I don't do it for the tingle. That's not my point, okay? The pastor said her hands will tingle if we raise our hands. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm just saying there is a freedom here. There is a I don't care what anybody thinks, which is one of our major chains in worship, is it not? I don't want to sing too loud. I don't want to speak too loud. I don't want to be too bold. I don't want anybody to see me. And many times we can slink back and hide under this, well, it's vain. You can say amen and be vain. Absolutely. You can stay, and I'm not drawing attention to anybody that stays seated during the songs. You can stay seated and be vain. You can stand up and be vain. You can do it on the left. You can do it on the right. You can be vain at any point in your life. That's really not the point. The point is, David says here, I'll lift up my hands. Why does he say that? Well, because if I lift up my hands, that means I'm more spiritual. I don't, I don't think so. It was just a natural flow, natural expression. You ought to try it sometime. Number three, moving right along. Satisfaction and joy surround our devotion to God. Praise flows from our devotion to God, but as we, as we live this life of devotion, there, it creates an atmosphere in your life. It, it creates an atmosphere in your Christian walk, and it's an atmosphere of satisfaction and joy. It really is. In verse number five, I'll, I'll show you here. It's really not because I said it. Uh, God has said it over and over again, but right here, David testifies in verse number five, my soul, and that's at the innermost of his being. You can't fake the soul, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. Nobody can even see it. So my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee. So my soul is satisfied. I'm content. I'm joyful. And my mouth, as a result, will praise thee. We see that, that praise flowing from a devoted life. When I remember thee upon my bed, I'm thinking about God. At nighttime, I'm, I'm, uh, unless you nap during the day, that's fine too. And, and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou, God, has been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. He's in the wilderness, remember. People are chasing him because he did right. And he says, Lord, in the shadow of your wings, out here in this hill, in this valley, in the wilderness, Lord, I'm thirsty. Here's what I'm most thirsty for. I'm thirsty for you. Lord, I am relying and trusting in your protection. I am, I am sustained by your strength. And his devotion is shining so bright right now. And this is exactly when it happens. It happens when our devotion is seen because of the valley that we're in. This is the idea in the world. Oh, there is this idea in the world that devotion to God will somehow end up depriving you and I of something that's fun, right? So if we're devoted to God, what we're really saying is we're willing to walk away from all the fun things in life and be devoted to God. I mean, just admit it. That's what we're thinking, right? If I was to be a missionary, <laughs> you're not thinking that's a great thing. And somehow God's holding you back from this joy, right? You're thinking, God, don't make me be a missionary. It's okay, you can say amen. It's, we all know it's true. 
You know, it's that, that phrase, you know, Lord, just don't send me to Africa. <laughs> as if, number one, all the Africans are now offended. But number two, as if Africa is not a beautiful country. It is actually gorgeous. But we have this idea of any kind of missions work, like that person is really sacrificing every, every chance at joy and happiness because they're now going to go on the other side of the world and serve God. No, no, if God calls them on the other side of the world, that is the best, 100% best place they could ever be. Absolutely. Same with you, by the way. Whatever, wherever God places you in, if you're devoted to God in that place, it's a place of joy, satisfaction, and contentment that quite honestly, people around you may not be able to understand. And that's perfectly okay because that is when your devotion to God will shine the most. Absolutely. It's in a time of difficulty, a time when you've been deprived from what everybody else would think would be the comforts of life. It shines. He says there, he, can, he gives us some really picturesque words here. I hope, I hope you can see to the, to the depth of these. He says, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. He said, marrow and fatness, that sounds disgusting. Well, listen to what the word picture is here back in Hebrew culture. This is the ultimate epitome of satisfaction and contentment. Marrow and fatness. The marrow was the fatty tissue on the sacrificial animal. The part of the animal that could not be eaten. It was not allowed to be eaten. It was supposed to be melted, burned on the altar. And they had a special place on the altar. I'm not sure exactly how it was constructed, where the, the fat would kind of drip out. You know, what happens? Grease. But it was, it was where the flavor came from. It was what some of you, now that you're adults, actually enjoy. When we're kids, we're like, eee. but no, when we're adults, we kind of like that flavor that comes in with that, right? This was seen in, in Israeli culture, as best I could see from studying it, that this was the part was not allowed to be eaten on the animal because this was the idea that only God received the best. We were going to burn that part on the altar. We were not going to eat it because God deserved the best. He says, in this time of difficulty, my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. Lord, my soul is going to be satisfied during this lean time. It's going to be satisfied with the best. Lord, I am so devoted, so trusting in you that I do not think that because of my devotion in this difficult time, I'm just going to have to go through a difficulty. No, his devotion was so strong that he actually did not see it as a difficulty. Do you notice that in here? He does not view this as a difficult time. He views this as a time where God was going to become so real to him that I will be satisfied, as with marrow and fatness, I will be satisfied with the best part of the animal. That's David's life of devotion. The richness and the joy that was filling him, the joy and satisfaction that only God could give in those kind of circumstances. He says, when I remember thee upon my bed, meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. You know, there is a certain semblance of maturity here as David has now walked with the Lord for a while. He's not a brand new Christian, accepting some things just by faith because he has not experienced them yet. This is, this is a life of experience speaking here. As I think about you at nighttime, as I lay on my bed and, and I, my thoughts go to you, not my difficult circumstances, but they go to you. And I think back on how you have helped me so many times, how you have been there for me so many times. It just lifts me right out. Any sense of discouragement. He says right there, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. 
I mean, truly happy. This is, that can't be faked. I mean, you're either rejoicing or you're not. He's not talking about put a smile on his face. He's saying, I'm happy. I'm happy during this time. That's a life of devotion to God. Lastly, and we'll get ready to go here. Lastly, our devotion to God strengthens our confidence in him. Devotion to God strengthens our confidence in Him. Do you know as you live a life that is devoted to God, God uses that time that you're spending with Him, truly with Him, to make you stronger. You, you do not become stronger, and then because you're stronger, now you're devoted to God. It does not work that way. You remain weak. That's what happens. Somehow we think that I'll, I'll become this person one day. Uh, I find this typically that happens a lot with, with young people because I've spent so much time with them that they'll be going through young life and the temptation with all of your friends is, hey, I'm just going to joke around now. I'm just going to have a good time. Gonna, the world says, sow my wild oats. And then when I become adult, I'll get serious about things. When I get through college, college students do it as well, I'll get serious about God then. Well, here's what you'll do. You'll come onto the scene at that point as a wimpy little Christian. I mean, you really will. You'll have no spiritual legs under you whatsoever. Uh, you'll have to basically start at the beginning. I'm really thankful that the sanctuary, the church, has been engineered so that that doesn't happen to you. Like, in other words, if you do church right, you have to intentionally be that way. You really do. As we, are, as we are restructuring some of the things in our church, it's to that very goal. From the very time that they are young, they are learning about God, and they are applying those truths. They're serving others. They're going out and telling those people about the gospel. They are becoming leaders in their youth group. They are taking those progressions all the way up through into adulthood. And then as they become adults, they take the next step and they continue on. We have a case, not, I'm not trying to toot anybody's horn at all. Um, Parker did that very same thing. Came here when he was about 15-ish. Okay, he'd been here a few times before, but that's, that's about the age that he really plugged in. And he started walking through life in our youth group. He started obeying the scriptures, obeying the Lord. He started following God in a real way. And here we are four or five years later in that process. And uh, he's now leading in our youth group. He and his wife uh, are getting ready to become, you know, I mean, they've already done this for months, but they're going to be our youth directors. Okay, and that's it's not youth pastor necessarily, but he is 22, 22 years old, 22, 22 years old. And where normally a college student would be getting out of school about now and starting the Christian life. Now, he didn't do that. He, he did it the whole time. So here he is. He's already in leadership. That's, that's, I believe, what God's will is for each of us. We're to be growing in a life that's devoted to him. And, this, man, there's going to be bumps and bruises. Why? Because our humanity is right in the middle of it. That's why. Not because he's ever going to fail us, but because we mess it up all the time. But our faithful God is right there. He's right there. He welcomes us back. Hey, if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do you deserve it? No, of course not. That just makes him look all the better because he is. He is such a good God. And that time with him, that time with him strengthens you, gives you confidence. He says in verse number eight, okay, as we finish up here, just give me about 10 minutes. As he's, in verse number eight, he says, my soul followeth hard after thee, Thy right hand upholdeth me, but those that seek my soul, remember he's in the wilderness being chased, those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They're going to go to the grave. 
They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. I mean, the dogs are going to eat their bones. But the king, that's either him or who he's going to be. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. What a, what a declaration that even in a time when everybody seemed like they were against him. I don't know if you've had a time like that in your life. But you probably at some point had a time when at least one person was against you. And maybe that's you needed to experience that before you experience everybody being against you. Which will happen eventually if you stand up tall enough for the Lord. Everybody will be against you. And David said, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall, shall be stopped. He wasn't worried about what everybody was saying. He wasn't worried about how many people were against him, what kind of power structure there was, or, or what people might think of him. He wasn't worried about that at all. His focus and devotion was on God. And because he had already been thinking about this in the night watches, I've already looked back on what God has done. I am sailing into this time of desert, spiritual desert in my life. I am sailing into this in full confidence of God. That's devotion. Full confidence in God. Not that you and I are fully able to handle the task. Absolutely not. If you do this long enough, it actually begins to reverse itself in your life. You become accustomed to depending on God. Do you get it right every time? Of course not. And by the way, just go ahead and iron that out in your life. You're not going to get it right every time. Okay, just move on. All right. Devotion to God comes with imperfections on our part. But the more time we spend with him... We gain this strength and God confidence that only he can give. Just a couple phrases I want you to see here. He says at the beginning of this passage, my soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. Your, your Bible may say, if you're, if you're reading a different version, it may say my soul clings to you. Okay, and that really is what it's talking about here. When, when they're using this phrase, my soul followeth hard after thee, it's this idea of this closeness, this clinging. I want to be as close to him as I possibly can. I do not want to be separated from him. I do not want to be apart from him. So I'm going to intentionally pursue him. I'm going to cling to him. It's the Hebrew phrase here in the Old Testament that they used also in the story of Ruth. And we'll close with this. In the story of Ruth, as you remember, Naomi, the, the mother, the kind of the patriarch, uh, Naomi's husband Elimelech has died and both of her sons have now died and when that happened the three men in the family were gone and you did not want to live in the land of Moab it was not a Christian nation you did not want to live in the land of Moab without any male protection so Naomi decided to move back to the land of Judah she heard that God had been moving in the land of Judah he had, he had been now become uh, where he should be worshipped and she had some confidence in God there so she begins to make moves towards that. Before she does, she releases her two daughters. Uh, it's Orpah and Ruth, which we know of in the book of Ruth. She releases Orpah and Ruth, and there was much crying and sadness. They, they didn't want to go, but she said, listen, I want you to go ahead. Your husbands have died. I release you. You don't have to take care of me. You go back to your homeland here in Moab. Find yourself another husband. Raise a family. You're young. You deserve that. And Orpah was upset. Orpah cried, and, and she went, and she left. Ruth, not so. And this is what Ruth, Ruth says here, and this is the same phraseology in Hebrew. So the same phrase, and I can't pronounce it, okay, but in English for us was in Psalm 63, my soul followeth hard after thee. 
the same exact Hebrew phrase in Ruth. Oh, here we go. I have it for us on Ruth 1.14. They lifted up their voice. This is Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. They lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and she leaves, but Ruth clave unto her. It's that same phrase, followeth hard after thee. Ruth clave unto her, and we see the results of that. Ruth would not leave. In verse 16, and Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, wherever you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She's claving. She's following hard after Naomi. I am not just chasing down a person. I am going to be so identified with that person. Where they go, I want to go. Who they are, I want to be. Your people, your friends, the people you want to be around, the people that would be around God, I want to be around those people. God, wherever you want me to be, I want to be there. Wherever you are, I want to be. I am cleaving, I am clinging to you. He says this, my soul falleth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. Oh, in this life of devotion, it cannot be separated that there is a strength in God confidence that comes upon each and every person that is devoted to God. Again, there's all sorts of people and ideas and humanity that we can be devoted to and we can make ourselves absolutely look foolish because it was a person. It was someone prone to fail. It was maybe an idea or an ideology that came from a person that is prone to fail. And we can be devoted to that cause and we can fall flat on our face because it's from a person. But when we're devoted to our God, the true and living God, you can never go wrong in that. And there is a strength there's a spiritual strength, an inner strength that can only be gained in this pursuit from devoting yourself to him. Would you join me in prayer as every head bowed and every eye closed as we consider these things before the Lord? Again, drawing so, such close attention that being devoted to him is not an act. It is rooted in a desire of our hearts. It, it results in praise and thanksgiving because you cannot be around this God, our God, without feeling that way. It is surrounded by joy and satisfaction and it creates over time an experience with God such a strength and confidence on the inside of a person that can only come from Him. As we draw to the end of this revival, how is your devotion this morning? You might say, Pastor Sean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm even saved. I, I don't know the Lord Jesus is my Savior. He's not my shepherd. I'll just be honest about that. Would you, would you pray for me this morning? Would you just slip your hand up and let me pray for you? Just slip it up and slip it down. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you just pray for me this morning? I, I want to know more about this shepherd. I want to know more about this God. Anybody like that at all? Just slip it up, slip it down. I won't embarrass you. Nobody's looking around. Father, you've been so good to speak to us this morning, been so good to give us your word in our language, and we've been privileged that your Holy Spirit, no doubt, was here penetrating our hearts with eternal truth. 
Lord, if there's anybody in this room that is unsaved, Lord, they're not a follower of Jesus Christ. They've never turned to the Lord in repentance and faith. Lord, this morning, I pray they'd have the courage to come see me after the service, Lord, so that we can show them from the scriptures how they can be saved. Give them the courage, Lord, to walk down this aisle towards the back in just a minute and let somebody show them from the word of God how they can be saved. Lord, would you bring that courage today? Lord, we know that you are our God. Father, we, we would always say that. This morning, would you allow us to feel it? Would you bring within us a desire that we just cannot drum up on ourselves, our own? We know, Lord, in our spirit that devotion to you is exactly where we need to be. But our flesh, in our flesh dwells no good thing and it fights us, it fights this devotion. Lord, we need your help. We need you to maybe correct us. We need you to put your arm around us, Lord, and to usher us into your presence. Father, we need you to open our eyes to where we have gone astray. Lord, would you do that for us this morning? We love you. Please be with our responses. I hope they'll please you today. In your name I ask, amen. Would you